Hey friends, welcome back to the Rhythms Podcast. This is the podcast that invites you to take another look at ordinary rhythms of life and how they create extraordinary thriving lives wherever we live and work and play. I'm Paul Gaucher, and again, it's great to have you along. This is episode eight, and I'm calling this one Relationship, as in we're all in this together. But first, uh, an update. We're into the fifth week of the sabbatical adventure, and we've just made our way through an entire eight-day span of solo granding. Our daughter, Sarah, and her husband, Travis, uh, traveled uh, abroad last week, and Nancy Lee and I stayed here to tend to the three hoonies. And by now, you uh, may know that uh, that we're granding. During the week that Sarah and Travis were out of town, we were completely in town and uh, living into our roles as uh, grandparents. Uh, for me, not for both of us, but uh, for me, that uh, that consisted of making a snow fort, uh, allowing my granddaughters to absolutely pummel me with smoke, uh, snowballs, uh, several trips to the local athletic club, which has an amazing warm water pool, three trips to Atlas Coffee, four trips to Shenandoah Joe's Coffee Shop, a bunch of trips to the grocery store, as well as several appearances in Ruby Grace's kindergarten class, where I am their new favorite mystery reader. And of last, as of last Friday, uh, the host of Kindergarten Chopped, where I pulled out all of the stops and made uh, yogurt-topped rice cakes uh, or vanilla wafers with blueberries. It was a ton of fun. Uh, there was also um, a bunch of bedtime routines, which included baths with Crayola bath drops and bath slime, turning just ordinary water into extraordinary water, colors of the rainbow that you can't believe. You know, no wonder I hated taking baths as a little kid, completely unfun back then. Well, I do have to say that the only sketchy moment came about a week and a half ago, when I picked up Emily Joyce, our youngest granddaughter, and uh, I was greeted at the same moment that our faces met, uh, and you know that moment, I was greeted uh, by a full-on sneeze, which literally quieted the room. The other people in the room stopped what they were doing, and everyone looked our way. Uh, It was a full-on sneeze, and without going into too much detail... The sneeze, well, let's just say that it had stuff in it, which necessitated me handing Emily Joyce off to Nancy Lee while I went to wash my face. But you know, the damage was done. I caught a bad cold and I lost my voice for five days uh, last week, including recording day. So we're a little bit behind with the recording, but getting ahead of the cold Although I'm sure that um, if you listen carefully, you can kind of still hear it in my voice. But anyway, uh, it's all good, and it's all about making deep and abiding connections with our family here. And I love it, no matter the cost. Well, we are into the third rhythm, exploring what it means to be connected, related, what it means to thrive in our relationships. And uh, and here's the guiding narrative that that 
that uh, helps me understand this connected rhythm. We thrive as connected people by nurturing healthy relationships, practicing intentional acts of kindness, and showing hospitality as ways of creating trust and building respect, which sustains community. So there are several uh, words in that that um, that I'm bringing us through. Uh, over on Instagram, I'm posting today's word. It's a, it's a different take on, uh, on these words, um, 100 days, 50 words. And you can check that out at, uh, on my Instagram connection. But anyway, as I suggested in the last episode, the rhythm of connection is really about tending to the relationships in our lives and not just the relationships with those that we know and love. I should say those that we know well and love easily, but really tending to the relationships in our lives with people that we may not know very well or at all. Uh, The guy in the car next to you, uh, the person who pulls out in front of you, Uh, Those who have different perspectives on politics and religion, Um, maybe respecting the right of others to express themselves without hurting and or degrading another human being. Some of the questions that this rhythm of connection uh, is asking, some of the questions that it's asking are, how can we nurture healthy relationships how do we how do we create a climate of relational wholeness in our lives? Um, what can we do in each of our own lives to foster a deeper sense of wider community? And what are some intentional acts of kindness that we can practice in our daily lives that will move our lives toward thriving relationally? And and how does showing hospitality uh, create trust and build respect? How does that happen? And how does it sustain community on every level and of every kind? So that's, uh, that's, those are some of the questions that this is intended to get at. I'd encourage you to come up with your own reasons for living into the rhythm of connection. Uh, but like last week, I want to tell you three more stories. And then I want to consider some implications and then ask a few questions. First, I want to talk about why it's important that a kite has a string, that a boat has a rudder, and why the brain has two sides, and why a ying must have a yang. Second, uh, I want to talk about why Let It Go, the song from Disney's 2013 animated feature film, Frozen, just might hold the key to a lasting peace in the Middle East or at least between you and that driver who flipped you off on your way to or from work yesterday. And third, why it matters where you get your water. So first, uh, a bit about kites and strings. For about a decade of life together at Prince of Peace, and while Nancy Lee was also on our pastoral staff, we led a number of marriage enrichment retreats together and over the years I think we hosted we we let must have led a couple hundred couples at least that through all manner of great and amazing marriage enrichment retreats and I recall one evening after the last session of the day on a particular retreat a guy that I knew pretty well uh, came up to me 
And somewhat jokingly, from his perspective, it was it was awkward, I have to admit, asked me a question. And he asked, how can I be happy when my wife drives me nuts? Wow, there's a question. Well, we chuckled awkwardly for a moment and then... And then I replied, well, that's funny. I said, your wife just asked me the same question about you. You should have seen the look on that guy's face. And you should have seen the look on his wife's face because she was standing not far off. How can I be happy, he asked, when my my wife drives me nuts? You know, the more I thought about it, the more I thought this is actually... A really great question. How can we be truly happy when when those with whom we're in relationship are driving us crazy? Nancy Lee and I will be celebrating 36 years of marriage this summer. And along the way, we've certainly discovered plenty about each other that drives each of us a little nuts. Uh, the points of tension and the metaphors abound. Nancy Lee is the string, and I'm the kite. She's the rudder of the boat, and I am the wind in the sail. She is the left brain, and I am on the other side, the right side. I hope you got that. Nancy Lee balances the books, and I do my fair share to create disequilibrium with spending habits, especially when it comes to kitchen kitchen gadgets. And I'm the unstructured Go with the flow ying to Nancy Lee's structured yang. And there's a great deal of fun in all of this, but I have to say that there are times when our differences are frustrating. Does it always have to be that way? Does it always have to be so frustrating? Surely not. Les Parrott and his wife Leslie, yes, they both have the same first name, Um, our marriage and family therapists from Seattle Pacific University. And um, they talk about how they experience these differences in in their marriage as well. So from a marriage perspective um, specifically, but, but from a wider perspective, the relational perspective, Les admits that it took them nearly 10 years to learn to appreciate what they each perceived as faults in each other. And now after nearly 30 years of their married life, they're still working on it. Well, here's the nugget of wisdom from Les in all of this. He says that when you surrender your need to change your partner's faults, the things that irritate you actually have a chance for becoming the things that endear you to them. Let me say that again. When you surrender your need to change your partner's faults, the things that irritate you actually have a chance for becoming the things that endear you to them. Well, this hit home for me some time ago on another marriage retreat that Nancy Lee and I were leading. Steve and his wife, Teresa, were reflecting um, uh, reflecting about their married relationship. And Steve offered this. He said, when we were, th- when we were, uh, 15 years into our marriage, uh, I, I realized that for the, f- uh, let me say that again. Uh, he said, 
we were 30 years into our marriage when I realized that for the first 15 years, I focused on Teresa's faults and my needs. And for the last 15 years, I focused on my faults and Teresa's needs, and our marriage has been transformed. Well, when I translated that into my relationship with Nancy Lee, it looked like this. By taking my critical focus off Nancy Lee and trying to fix all of those things in her that bothered me, things that I thought needed fixing in there, uh, that allowed me to see Nancy Lee in a completely different light. It gave me the chance to understand and even appreciate the way that she did things in a whole new light. This is what researchers mean by managing a positive view of your relationships while acknowledging what drives you nuts. And guess what? This is essential for true intimacy. If you were to look up intimacy in a dictionary, you'd see words like close, warm, familiar, affectionate, and caring. But researchers say that intimacy emerges when you see less me and you in the relationship and more we and us. I'll say that again. Intimacy emerges when you see less me and you in the relationship and more we and us. So becoming a team, having deep intimacy is the antibody to going nuts. The best thing I can do for our marriage particularly, and my relationships with other people in general is to acknowledge that all of us bring different things to the relationship. So we get to celebrate those differences. And if I need to change anything, I need to begin with myself. And if I can't do that, I'll probably go nuts. My dear friend Eugene Peterson, the creator of the Message Bible, had an uncanny way of providing us with a way of hearing the entire Bible in a way that's soft on our ears, moving in our hearts, and strong in our minds. I had the profound fortune to spend time with Eugene on a number of occasions at his home in Lakeside, Montana, and I came to know Eugene as a gentle, kind just and fair sage of a man uh, who died at his home in October of 2018. And when Eugene and I were together a couple of years ago talking about the book that I was getting ready uh, then to publish, a book on marriage called The Dance of Marriage, in case you're wondering, we talked about the normal tensions in relationships. And our conversation Uh, And his response took us to his translation of what Jesus said in Matthew 5. And here's what we read. Don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. 
And to that I say, thanks be to God for dear and departed Eugene, and thanks for that insight from the Gospel of Matthew. So a couple of observations. First, every one of us belongs to some relationship. Think about the relationships in your lives, those with whom you are connected on a deeper level. Friends, lovers, spouses, family members, sons, daughters, in-laws, co-workers, people we know well, and as well as people that we may not know well or even at all. When we share the same air, when we share the same space, the same sunlight, uh, the same rain, the same everything, it's important for all of us to, to lean into ways of living together that makes it possible for all of us to thrive together. Second, the issue, I believe, isn't how do we come more and more like one another. The issue, rather, is how do we come together more and more to celebrate the different ways we bring life and aliveness to one another. So a couple of questions. You're in relationship with someone else. You're in relationship with your family members. You're in relationship with your coworkers. Think about those relationships and ask yourself, what's working and what isn't? And why do the things that work, work? And the things that don't work, why don't they work? Bring to mind some of your more primary relationships and ask yourself, how can I bring less of me and you and more of we and us. And what would it look like if you made a concerted effort to focus less on your partner's shortcomings and your needs and more on your own shortcomings and your partner's needs? What kind of transformation would that bring about? Another way to ask that question is to ask this. What do you just need to let go of? You know, every one of us has those moments when someone says or does something that just takes us off the ranch. We have a choice in those moments to let what's going on right there and then to drive us to drink from the well of bitter or even poison water that brings death or to drink from the refreshing pool of water that brings life. The more I think about it, the song Let It Go from Disney's 2013 animated feature film Frozen just might hold the key to lasting peace in all kinds of relationships. Let me tell you a rather painful story. I was in my truck at a stop sign about to turn left. As I looked both ways, both left and right, uh, and started into the intersection... Uh, I did so believing that I had a clear path. But as soon as I did, I saw a car coming from my right, a car that I hadn't seen a moment before. However, the car was still a good distance away. And so, still with plenty of time, I pulled out and I made my left-hand turn and began accelerating. And as I picked up speed, I glanced in the rearview mirror and noticed that the car that I had seen coming from quite a distance 
from the right was now right up on my bumper. I mean right on my bumper. Obviously, the driver had to have quickly gunned it, accelerated in order to come up behind me that quickly, like a bat-out-of-hell sinky Finland. And now, not only was he right on my tail, but he was laying on his horn. And it wasn't sort of the polite beeping that some people do. It was a full-on laying on the horn with no brake. It was obvious. He was clearly, clearly annoyed with me. And so, what could I do? Uh, with a kind of um, an exaggerated movement that I hoped that he would see, I shrugged my shoulders and put both hands up as if to communicate something like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. My bad. That did nothing to ease the tension. This guy was really irritated. And you know, I felt bad too. I mean, I honestly did. So my next thought was, you know, I'll just get out of his way. I'm going to pull over to the right uh, and let him pass since he's obviously in a big hurry. So I pulled over on the shoulder of the road to let him go by, which he did. He went by, but on his way by me, he slowed down and he gave me the stink eye and then let me know how annoyed he really was with me and that my attempt at, man, I'm so sorry, my bad, that gesture of shrugging my shoulders, that wasn't, that wasn't going to cut it at all. And so to end all stink eyes, uh, he then knew that that wasn't quite enough. He let me have it. You know, he gave it to me. He waved at, with, uh, at me. And I think you know what I'm talking. He waved at me with what I'm pretty sure is the universal sign for something like, man, I am super, super annoyed with you. Yeah, he flipped me off right there. He really gave it to me. And that... That is what pushed me right over the edge into a rather deep well. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was, that was the gesture. That was the moment that really hooked me in. And so now I'm in confession mode. So let's go back to Let It Go. Again, the song from Disney's 2013 animated film, Frozen. You may, you may have heard, heard of it. Let It Go, the song, reached the top five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and won both the Academy Award for Best Original Song in 2014 and a Grammy Award for Best Song Written for Visual Media in 2015. The song gained international recognition, becoming one of the most globally recorded Disney songs with all kinds of covers being recorded in different languages. According to the International Federation of the Phonographic Industry, Let It Go sold 10.9 million copies in 2014, becoming uh, the year one of the year's top-selling songs. So, why do I tell you that? Because for all the awards for an enormous popularity of that song, those of us who can sing it practically from memory have a difficult time actually doing the thing that the song admittedly in a broad sense urges, letting go of the things that weigh us down, hold us back, and bind us up. We have an enormously difficult time doing that.
Simply put, we can't let it go. So holding on to all of those things or letting them go is like the difference between drinking water from a poisoned well or drinking from a cool mountain spring. We all have the choice between two wells, one that leads to death and destruction and the other that leads to life and aliveness. And at that moment, as that guy was was given it to me good, I was aware that I had my face in the well of death, a well filled with poison water. And as he sped by me with the image of what I've always referred to as the Hawaiian love wave, sorry to my friends in Hawaii, with that image fresh in my mind, I could feel the tension rising in my chest. My blood began to boil as I watched him drive away. But it was right then that I tried to catch myself between the two wells of water. And because I was trying to work on this in my own life, I was aware that this was a a, a a work area for me. That Disney song came back to me right there and then. And I said to myself, Paul, let it go. Just let it go and let him go. Don't drink from that poison well. You have no idea what that guy's morning has been like. So just let it go. Now I have to, t- I have to confess Uh, that it took me quite a while to do that. I was sort of off all morning. My heart was racing uh, and I was really, I was really irked. And uh, I had to work at letting it go. I had to work at not drinking from that well. Well, that's not the end of this. Five hours later, that same day, I'm standing at the customer service line in a Target store. I was returning something, and when I approached the counter, I said, Good morning to the woman behind the register. And she had been chatting with her coworker about something that had happened to her the day before. And when her friend said, Hey, send me a text about it. I want to hear all about it. The woman who was telling the story said, I'll have to call you. I can't send a text that detailed. And for reasons well beyond me at that moment, I simply inserted myself into the conversation and I said to her, whoa, that sounds like there's a story there. And that's when the woman turned to me and said rather sadly, yeah, there is a story there. And then she told me the story. She said, I was in the car yesterday and I pulled out in front of someone and they came right up on me And they laid on the horn right behind me. So I pulled over to let him go by. Now just sidebar, she's telling me this. Uh, My head's exploding at that moment. I'm like, wait a minute. I I just experienced today what you experienced yesterday. So she said, the guy came right up behind me, laid on the horn. So I pulled over to let him go by. But when I pulled over, the guy stopped on the road right next to me. Right on the road next to me. He got out of the car, came up to my window, which was open, and he just spit on me. It was awful. So this woman at Target and I were both standing there looking at each other. It was also almost as, as if there wasn't a customer service counter at Target anymore. 
and I wasn't returning anything. It was just the two of us, two human beings standing together. This woman, far more, far other than just an employee of some big box store. This woman, a daughter, a sister, a wife, a mother, a friend, and me. And in that moment, I thought that tears would come for both of us. And as I stood there in that moment, the scenes of my whole morning came rushing back through my mind. And I thought about how often, so often, we stand between two wells of water, wondering which one to drink from, that one that brings death or the one that brings life. And how the decision about which one to drink from is sometimes so difficult and at other times, it's so painfully obvious. So you know what I did? I looked at this woman right there at the customer service center. And I said to her, You know, I don't know you and you don't know me. But I just want to say this to you today. And then I took a deep breath and I said, On behalf of the entire human race, let me just say, how sorry I am that you experienced that. No one should ever, ever, ever be treated like that by another human being. And I'm so very sorry. There we were. The two of us, complete strangers on the one hand. But on, on another hand, in a completely different and probably far more profound way, we were deeply connected in a relationship that was marked by the pain in her story and her willingness to trust me with it. I didn't know her at all. But in those few minutes, those few moments, we were deeply, deeply connected, sharing the same air, sharing the same space, sharing the same sunlight, sharing the same rain, the same everything. We were connected in a relationship. And she just looked back at me and she said, thank you. It was a remarkable moment of life and aliveness. So again, an observation. First of all, we make important choices every day when it comes to our connectedness to others, when it comes to the most important things in our lives, namely our relationships. We have profound decisions to make every day. We can drink from a well that only temporarily satisfies us, a well filled with anger and bitterness and hurt and unkindness and brokenness and the list goes on. And when we drink from that well, we discover that we keep returning to that well again and again, thinking that we're finding some satisfaction when in reality, all we're gaining is a false sense of fulfillment. Or we can drink from a well that promises life and aliveness for us. Drinking from this well fills us with with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And when we realize that drinking from this well, the well of life and aliveness in our relationships, we'll discover another kind of thirst, a thirst for more of that, of more and more of that. Ultimately, Ultimately, friends, we all thrive as connected people by nurturing healthy, 
relationships and practicing uh, intentional, purposeful acts of kindness and showing hospitality as ways of creating trust and building respect, which sustains community. And so that's a few thoughts on being connected. And that, my friends, is my story, and I am sticking to it. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for visiting the website. Uh, you can uh, more easily now find the podcasts. When you go to paulgoshe.com, you can click on the podcast button and get the podcast, or you can uh, subscribe in the iTunes store. Uh, you can also click on the rhythms button and uh, check out some uh, daily or uh, every other daily sort of thoughts. Uh, certainly there you'll find the today's word or the word of the day that I'm, uh, that I'm hosting. I want to say thanks to a, a great team who helped make this happen, Lisa Gustafson and Darren Hensel, uh, Sven Swenson and Joel Yoda Haugen. And hey, thanks to the guys in the band Snarky Puppy. Uh, They're kind enough to let us use their amazing tune, What About Me, for the bumper music on this podcast. Um, got some permission and it took some doing, but uh, they were so gracious. You should... You, oh man, just go to where you get your music and uh, search for Snarky Puppy. Uh, I think every one of their songs is uh, is also, um, there's a video of them recording it and it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Snarky Puppy, check, check those guys out. Uh, and now a blessing, friends. Dear friends, as you move through this day, may you thrive. May you thrive as deeply connected, relational, children of the creator and may you come to a deeper satisfaction as you practice intentional acts of kindness with those that you know and those that you may not know and may you experience the power of showing the kind of hospitality that creates trust that builds respect and may you know that kind of connectedness that sustains the community that we all of us share together. And remember the words of Thomas Merton, happiness is not a matter of intensity, but of balance, order, rhythm, and harmony. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Meet you back here soon.